0: Well, we're continuing today with our new series called Lens on Life. Lens on Life. We see the world in different ways through different lenses. And while we maybe aren't conscious of some of these lenses that we see the world with, they do affect us. And in many ways, uh, the way we can refer to Lens on Life is a worldview. We have different worldviews the way we see the world. And a worldview is this. The lens through which we see reality make sense of life and engage the world. So it's the lens through which we see reality... Right, So this is how I'm approaching, this is how I see my life, and then and I make sense of it, trying to figure out wh- why am I here, what am I doing, why, what's the purpose in life, and now out of that lens, I'm going to engage the world around me. And like I said, we have these different lenses that we all have, whether or not we're really conscious of them or not is another factor. And in this series, I want to look at four lenses that have been influencing us because we live in this nation, it's a part of being in the West, it's a part of being in America, And these worldviews, these lenses affect us more than we realize. I think even in the church, even with Christians, we want to bend the words of God and Scripture to try to justify some of these worldviews and to say, surely that can't all be wrong or bad or we can find a way to make these uh, justified. And so the the worldviews we're looking at, the lenses we've been looking at beginning last week is the lens of materialism. And as we're talking about lenses, like right, this idea of designer frames, that, that, that we want the material things in this world, that w- money is what matters most, that things are, the, are, are driving us to, to pursue life, to acquire things, to live the kind of life that, that gives us that material wealth and security. And I like after last week hearing from some of you guys who've gone to town and already started cleaning out some of your houses. Any of you got, got rid of some stuff this last week? Who's gotten rid of some stuff, right? right we realize that some of those things we don't need. And we can find our hope in other things. Well, this week we're going to talk about here in week two, hedonism, talking about pleasure, rose-colored glasses. Then next week we're going to talk about individualism. Me, myself, he, and I. And then the last week, we're going to end with politics, seeing red or blue, blue and red, right? How do we see the world through these different lenses? And we want to see what God's word has to say to that. We're looking at a key verse, Colossians 2, verse 8, says this, Don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense that come from human thinking and from the spiritual powers of this world rather than from Christ. And so we have all kinds of philosophies, and God gives us a brain to think and to process the world, but he's saying in the end, these philosophies, there can be some good in them, there can be things that help guide us, but in the end, it's about coming back to what Christ has said, and how do we have a Christ-centered, gospel-centered, biblical worldview? Because when we hold on to that, that's where we can have the foundation to build our lives on. And so today, we're going to look at part two, Hedonism, Rose-Colored Glasses. Now, I don't know about you, when you hear that word hedonism, what does that conjure up in your mind, right? You think hedonism, you know, it's loose living, it's, it's excess, it's debauchery, it's just living in a, in a way of excess, right? And you think about this, this idea of how is this a philosophy on life and how has that influenced us? Well, if we break it down and we really look at what hedonism is, it comes from the ancient Greek word, which simply means pleasure. Pleasure. So it's this idea that pleasure is the ultimate pursuit in life. That when we pursue pleasure, we want to pursue the things that are enjoyable, that are pleasurable, and we avoid the things that are painful. In the end, we start making pleasure our God. It's the thing that we want to pursue, and, and, and that that is the goal of life. And so this is a theory and a, and a worldview that's been around for a long time almost as long as there have been people on this planet. As a matter of fact, Epicurus, he was a Greek philosopher, and we have a beautiful picture of him here, um, and uh, he, even back 300, uh, 300 years before Christ, he said this, "'Pleasure is the first good. It is the beginning of every choice and every aversion. It is the absence of pain in the body and of troubles in the soul.'" Now we go, yeah, we want absence of pain from the body, we don't want trouble in the soul, and so we're going to do the things that pursue pleasure, enjoyable experiences, you know, whether it's elation or euphoria, exhilaration, those things that just make us feel alive and make us feel good. Another way of looking at this worldview of hedonism, Rick Warren says, it can easily slip into whatever feels good is good. The kind of thing that whatever feels good is good. Is this a a prevalent uh, philosophy in our world? Are you guys with me this morning, right? If it feels good, it must be good. There's something we pursue these things in our life. And for hedonists, pleasure becomes their God. The goal is to be comfortable and to have fun. And even before Epicurus, there was a Greek, a Chinese philosopher, Yang Su, and he argued in, in his thinking even before then was, well, if there is no God or since there is no God in after, or afterlife in his thinking, well, you might as well live this life to get as much pleasure out of it as you can and avoid as much, uh, as much pain as you can. And I think we hear them and go, yeah, I mean, all of us don't want to pursue our life and go, we want more pain and less pleasure, no. But this idea, again, of pursuing these things without an eternal perspective. Now let's fast forward the clock, and here we are, we live in America. Why is this and how has this become a worldview of philosophy that, that so many have bought into and that influences us whether we buy into it hook, line, and sinker or just let it influence us? Well, think back to the Declaration of Independence. All right, as you look at the Declaration of Independence, you guys all remember it back from high school class? You can all recite the whole thing, right? We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. Okay? These, are, these are self-evident truths. You don't even need to explain them, right? That they are endowed by their creator. So God gave us these, these unalienable, uh, unalienable rights, Rights that cannot be taken away, rights that cannot be be granted. These are just rights that we have. Among these are three things. What are they? Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, right? So life and freedom that we can have. And then this interesting phrase that you would not expect in like a government document, the pursuit of happiness, I mean this is a right that we hold on to as Americans. This is like in our founding that we have the right to pursue happiness and you cannot stop me from pursuing my happiness and I will find my happiness. And that's not necessarily a bad thing to pursue happiness, right? But I'm asking, how are we doing after 200 years of pursuing our happiness? Have we found it? Are we finding it in just these pursuits? Where do we find it? That's the question. And so as we look at this idea of hedonism, right, we said it's the rose-colored glasses. So when I got that three-pack that I bought last week, I had blue ones, red ones, and I got rose-colored glasses, right? I don't know if these are any better. Yeah? Yeah? Good. All right. You guys all look a little more cheerful. You look a little more happy, right? Life looks good. I mean, even in the dead of winter, you can put on rose-colored glasses, and all of a sudden, life feels a little bit better. Or maybe you have those yellow glasses, right? It always looks like it's sunshine, What's wrong with having rose-colored glasses? What's wrong with, you know, isn't it just being optimistic and hopeful, finding pleasure? Well, this morning, I want to look at what is the source of pleasure? And what's wrong with pleasure? What's good with pleasure? How do we find it? And as we look at this worldview, how can we see it through a gospel-centered, Christ-centered, biblical lens that helps us understand this? So you ready to jump in with me today? All right. Okay, so the search for pleasure, it is old, right? As we discovered before the Declaration of Independence, right? We had Epicurus, we had the Chinese philosophers, but even before then, even before then, we had the search for pleasure. And we read about this, uh, this search for pleasure in a, in a man who had every pleasure available to him, whatever he desired. He was known as the wisest man that had ever lived at the time, and he was on a quest for understanding the meaning of life. But not only was he wise, he was incredibly wealthy, he was incredibly powerful because he was the king, and he was Israel's third king, King Solomon. King Solomon. And so Solomon writes in Ecclesiastes this this search for meaning in life, and it's a great book. I think it still applies to us today as we read this. And I want to read to you a couple of uh, sections out of Ecclesiastes chapter 2 and see his pursuit of trying to understand the meaning of life and as he looks for it in pleasure. Here's what he says, I said to myself, come on, let's try pleasure. Let's look for the good things in life, right? The pursuit of happiness. But I found that this, too, was meaningless. So I said, laughter is silly. What good does it do to seek pleasure? After much thought, I decided to cheer myself with wine. And while still seeking wisdom, I clutched at foolishness. In this way, I tried to experience the only happiness most people find during their brief life in this world. It's a really hopeful passage, isn't it, right? I also tried to find meaning by building huge homes for myself and by planting beautiful vineyards. I made gardens and parks, filling them with all kinds of fruit trees. I built reservoirs to collect the water, to irrigate my many flourishing groves. He goes on, I also owned large herds and flocks, more than any of the kings who had lived in Jerusalem before me. I collected great sums of silver and gold, the treasure of many kings and provinces. I hired wonderful singers, both men and women, and had many beautiful concubines. I had everything a man could desire. Verse ten, he says, "Anything I wanted, I would take. I denied myself no pleasure." I mean, connect this with last week's message with materialism and hedonism. You think this guy's living the rock star lifestyle, right? Anything he wants, all money at his disposal, all the fame, all the everything he has, whatever he wants, he denied himself no pleasure. And I think we sometimes think in our lives, what would it be like just to be able to have access and do whatever we want, complete freedom? In verse 11, he says, but as I looked at everything I had worked so hard to accomplish, it was all so meaningless, like chasing the wind. There was nothing really worthwhile anywhere. Womp (laughs) womp. He's searching, he's looking, and how many people do we know? How many of us have been in a place where we're looking for, hoping to find in this next thing, in these, in material things, in relationships, in pleasures, where do we find it? How do we find it? You know, as I think about our world, I don't think they're looking to the church for the answer. I don't think they're looking at Christians for the answer. I don't think they're looking at God for the answer. When it comes to pleasure, when it comes to finding that happiness, that's not a place many people look. It seems that Christians have the opposite worldview of pleasure right you go to church you ever feel like it's the fun police no people wonder is God the fun police or Christians fun police I mean growing up I thought that kind of church and Christians could sometimes be the fun police like you just can't have any fun you know I'm in middle school and high school and college and it seems like everybody else can have fun but as Christians you know we have these these 10 commandments thou shall not have any fun If you're going to summarize them right that's, that's the Bible right there. If you're going to be a Christian, when you get serious in life, you don't want to get rid of all the pleasures and crazy life, then you become a follower of Jesus and the fun is over, right? So others, they get to drink, they get to smoke, they get to hang out at parties, they get to you know, listen to whatever music they want and watch any movies they want. They can sleep around with whomever they want. They get to do whatever, but as Christians, we have to be... And then, when they're all tired on Sunday morning after having so much fun on Saturday, we got to get dressed up and go to church. And then I got to listen to some guy preach for, you know, however long. And now I'm that guy. And, you know, it's like, <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I remember that. And then, and then they want your money. <laughs> on top of that, instead of me spending it on things that I want to do, then I'm supposed to give and support this, this church, right? And so it's like, is this fun? Where is the fun? And then you, you, and it makes me wonder as I look around and I think, you know, whether it's teenagers or 20-somethings in the, in the fullness of life going, why would I want to be a Christian? Where's the pleasure? Where's the joy? Where's the fun? And I look at those of us who are more mature, who've been in the church for a long time, and I wonder, what is the next generation seeing in us? Are we like, looking like we're sucking on sour grapes while we're worshiping? We love Jesus. Our heart's overflowing. You can't sit here. This is my seat. <laughs> right? I mean, thank goodness that doesn't happen here at Meadow Park. <laughs> As I was sharing with some folks here, you know, as I think about even our, our Sunday services, or I think about Easter even, just the, the life and the joy that was in here. And, and even if somebody comes to Meadow Park or came on Easter, right, and said, I don't believe a single thing that this pastor says or what these people are being baptized. They're all crazy. I don't buy it. It's all a bunch of who n- nonsense. But you know what? That might have been deniable. But you know what's undeniable is when they see people going. those people around me, they believe it. They're fully in. There's something about the life that's there, the overflowingness of that. How can we have a life and a faith that, that isn't, you know, the motto, you know, be grumpy and Bible thumpy, right? Like that does not attract. That does not show the fullness in life. And so I think people assume there isn't pleasure, there isn't life to be found in following Christ. So let me make this first point here. The Bible does not condemn pleasure. God created it. The Bible does not condemn pleasure. God actually created it. So think about the pleasure and the joy in life. This is a creation of God for us to enjoy this world. So you look at the things in, uh, some of the things in life that we find pleasure in. Who doesn't like good music and singing and instruments, right? Any of you guys, you're driving around in your car and you turn up that song that you really like, right? Any of you that like that little extra bass, right? Yeah, you got to feel music. You can't just listen to it. You got to feel it. And then you gotta move, and sometimes it gets you to move, and some of you like to dance, and nobody wants to see me dance because that's not the way that I respond to music. But music, right, it moves in you, right? You know, get a little bit of movement going. But but it's a beautiful thing. God created it, and that's why He created worship. He created us for just to bring those gifts and to bring that joy and to find great delight in our worship, and how we do that. Think about other things in life that are joyful: food and drink. Man, we love food and drink, don't we? I mean, how many restaurants does Columbus have? You could eat in a different restaurant for, like, years and not eat, you know. It's crazy. We love these good things. I mean, who do you think created the spicy chicken sandwich <laughs> and the filet mignon? This is God, right? I mean, at least he gave us the chicken, and he helped us design the spicy chicken. But these are great things. It's not a surprise to God that grapes ferment, okay? This is not something that he doesn't know about. He gave us these things. We think about physical intimacy, touch. With that, that, those, when your heart goes pitter patter, right? When, we, when you hold someone's hand, you know, for the first time, you're in love and all these different things. And, and you know what? God created sex. He did. He did. And it wasn't just for procreation, it was for enjoyment, it was for pleasure among <laughs> his people. I don't know what was just said, but somebody made a joke. <laughs> I won't have it repeated. I don't know. Um, <laughs> these are gifts. These are gifts that God gives us. Adrenaline, right? Not just fight or flight, but when we experience something that gives us a rush, that comes from God. What are other things that we enjoy? You go out in nature. The beauty of nature, right? You're up and you see the beauty of the Alps, or you go to hiking and hawking hills, or you set your feet in the the sand on the beach. These are gifts. These are pleasures. These are things that God gave us. God gave us man's best friend. Dogs, how many of you just love dogs? <laughs> right? God created dogs, Satan created cats. I mean, it's all just a beautiful thing. We, 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 all right, uh, too far, too far, too far. Um, there are some cute cats, they make great videos on TikTok and all those things. Laughter, God gave us laughter, right? He gave us joy. He gave us family, some of the most beautiful things that we love, relationships, to be able to have marriage, to be connected with somebody for life and to feel that partnership, to feel that togetherness, that love that you feel, that that, that just pure elation when you, when you have that, that child or a grandchild or when you're connected with friends and community. This is beauty that God gave us. These are all things that he gave for us. And then he says, you know, not only are these great things here in this life, but tell you what? When this life is over, I'm gonna give you heaven. I'm gonna give you eternal life, a place of no more pain, no more sorrow, beauty, right? The presence of Christ. And so there's this this joy and this pleasure that God gives us. And think about that even as you look at the life of Jesus. How do you picture Jesus? As you kind of picture his face, what kind of face does Jesus have? Do you see him as grumpy? Do you see him as, as stern? Do you see him as just really passive? Do you see him as chill? How do you see Jesus? I'm sure he was different in different ways in different places. But as you look at his life, he understood the enjoyment of life as well. He spent his whole life with, surrounded by some close people. He called his 12 disciples around him. He had three that were even closer friends. He spent time going to friends' houses, to Mary and to Martha's house and Lazarus. He'd come and hang out. He'd go to parties, right? He was actually condemned for going to parties with notorious sinners. And what did he do at those parties? He had fun. He connected with people he loved to go fishing and boating. He went out with his disciples on the lake. He would go hiking. He'd go into the mountains. He'd retreat into nature. And he did some really cool party tricks along the way, right? I mean, he turned water into wine. That was kind of cool. That's fun. Barefoot surfing, right, on Lake Alley. I mean, it's amazing. This was not, I mean, Jesus knew how to have a good time and to be with others, and he enjoyed those aspects of life. Now again, that's not all of life, but Jesus shows us that we can have this joy and this fullness. Jesus says in John 15, 11, I told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. And this is about being connected to God. When we're in a relationship with him, there's this overflowing joy that comes. God wants us to be joyful. So here's the next point: Pleasure does not equal sin. But pleasure without restraint becomes sin. First thing we need to understand, pleasure is not bad. But pleasure without restraint becomes sin. Colossians 3, verse 5. So put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. Have nothing to do with sexual sin, impurity, lust, and shameful desires. This is pleasure without restraint. Romans thirteen, thirteen. Don't participate in the darkness of wild parties and drunkenness or in sexual promiscuity and immoral living or in quarreling and jealousy. When I think about the excesses, when I think about when we don't have restraint, isn't it amazing how pleasure becomes pain? That's the interesting thing. All these pleasures in excess, without restraint, the pleasures become pain. The the wonderful glass of wine that you have, to the drink you have becomes the bottle. The bottle, the drink, turns into drunkenness and in excess. Drunkenness in excess becomes addiction. It becomes alcoholic addiction and it becomes not pleasure but what? It becomes pain. When you think about, you know, man, we all love and enjoy and delight in, in good food. But good food becomes overindulging, and overindulging begins to create problems and and difficulties for us in our body and unhealthiness. The pleasure can become pain. Sex in the right context is a beautiful thing of pleasure, but it becomes great pain when it's outside the bonds of marriage, when it's before marriage, when it's it's looking at images, when it's doing those things where this is not how God created it. The pleasure becomes pain. And so a hedonistic approach to life that is just, I'm just going to keep pursuing pleasure to no end, will not lead us to the place we're looking for. It actually has the diminishing return to the point of where it creates the pain. And I think what happens, just like with materialism, we're seeking lasting pleasure from temporary things. Here's what it says in Galatians 6, 8. Those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature, right, the satisfaction, I'm gonna to try to satisfy that. What happens? We'll harvest decay and death from that sinful nature. But those who live to please the spirit will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. Quite a different endpoint. Death and decay or life. And yet the leaning in keeps leaning in. Maybe I can find life, maybe I can find hope in this constant pursuit of pleasures, but it comes up empty. Satisfying our cravings with temporary pleasures not only leaves us hungry, it keeps us from discovering true lasting joy. So like we said we keep going down that path. Eventually you just continue to long for more. It leaves you hungry, but unfortunately that that pursuit also keeps us from really discovering where true life is found. It's like, you know, has has anyone in this room, any parent ever said, any mom ever said, especially, you know, maybe saying, you know, don't spoil your dinner. Anyone ever said that? What does that usually mean? Don't eat beforehand. Don't eat junk. Don't have a snack. Don't do that. Why, why, why would that matter? You're hungry, satisfy your hunger. You want a Twinkie, go eat your Twinkie. doesn't matter. You're satisfied. Imagine eating six Twinkies before dinner. How are you going to feel before that wonderful dinner that was prepared? You're not going to want to eat the dinner. And now all of a sudden you've pursued a pleasure that didn't leave you feeling very good, and you didn't get the nourishment from what was there. And that's what often happens in life when we don't understand what is keeping us from experiencing the true desires that we have. Temporary pleasures aren't going to satisfy. 1 John two sixteen and 17 For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see. Kind of sounds like Ecclesiastes, right? And pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but are from this world. And what is happening with this world? It's fading away, along with everything that people crave. But anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. And so I think we can easily see here that these things are fading away and the focus should be on God. And maybe you say, well, we need to deny our pleasures and, and we need to deny our longings for these things and we need to get serious. C.S. Lewis had a different perspective on it. He taught a message about 80 years ago, 1942. He said this, It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. may need a second to take that in. He's saying it's not that our pleasures are too strong. They're they're actually too weak. They're they're too weak for the things that matter, for the things that make a difference in this life. We settle for these temporary pleasures that are pleasurable in a certain way. But don't bring that ultimate pleasure. It's like us saying, you know, no, no, I'm good. I'll settle for sitting in my plastic lawn chair and having, having, a, having, having a drink in my backyard instead of being able to sip a pina colada out of a, out of a coconut swinging in a hammock on a palm tree on a beach in the Caribbean. But no, 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 I'm good, and I'm good. I'll just hang out in my backyard, right? He's saying we're settling. We're settling in this life instead of seeing where our true longings can be to, to tap into that, that longing for Christ. Which leads us to this point. Our deepest pleasure is only found in Christ. Philippians 3, 8, and 9. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage, so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. When you discover Christ, when you discover the hope, when you discover the satisfaction, when you discover a relationship in Jesus that truly satisfies, those other things begin to take their place in a very different way, and you realize where is our ultimate hope, where is our ultimate pleasure and joy, that we would desire God, that we would pursue him. John Piper wrote a book called Desiring God, and here's what he says, God's ultimate goal in this world, which is his glory, and our deepest desire to be happy, so these two things are one and the same. Because God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. It's about this relationship. It's about this desire for God to say, we're going to find it when you find it in me. When I can have the full relationship with you and devotion and you with me, that's where we find our peace. That's where we find our satisfaction and we find that joy and that happiness. See, we, we have this idea that, um, that, that we, when we pursue happiness, right, and then we wonder why we can't seem to find God. We're pursuing happiness. We're pursuing and it it pleasure. We're looking for, why can't I find God? Why can't I find peace? It's because we've actually reversed the formula. The way that God designed it through the Christ-centered worldview that helps us really understand this, it says this in Psalm 37, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Amen. Right? It's, it's, it's the other way around. Delight yourself in the Lord. He's gonna give you the desires of your heart. See, when God becomes our greatest delight, happiness becomes the byproduct of our joy in him. When he becomes our greatest delight, that's the focus. Now, all of a sudden, the happiness, the the peace that we find is the byproduct. It comes out of that relationship. And we get it wrong so many times. We pursue pleasure, but we miss God. Where when what God who created us teaches us pursue God, and we will discover pleasure and joy. It's getting that focus. It's getting that priority right. And so you look at life, and do you feel ever like Solomon, that it's a chasing of the wind, that you're going, I'm looking for it. I keep looking for it, but yet it's coming up meaningless. It's coming up empty. Where did Solomon ultimately find his hope? He writes this whole book, and at the end of chapter 12, just two verses there in the very last chapter of that book, he says this, Yes, remember your creator now while you are young, before the silver cord of life snaps and the golden bowl is broken. That's a way to describe your last days. Here now is my final conclusion. Fear God and obey God his commands in the end he's saying comes back to focusing on christ comes back to putting god at the center putting him in the middle of our life and that when we pursue him we stop chasing the wind this futility of just pursuing things that are not going to satisfy and that pleasure that ultimately in its continued pursuit will only lead us into pain versus into full life with him and plus we miss the whole fact that doesn't life teach us an awful lot through our pain We can't avoid pain in this life. We can't go through life avoiding. It's gonna come. It's gonna happen. But the beautiful thing about following Christ is that he redeems our pain. That he takes the brokenness and he restores those pieces as well. And that's why we come to him to find that satisfaction, to find that hope in him. He gave us so many amazing things in this life to enjoy. And we should enjoy them and delight in them and give God thanks for them. But don't let those become your God. Don't let those become your focus. Pursue God And allow your desire in him to lead you to the places where he will give you the desires of your heart. Let's pray. As you reflect on your life and as you think about where your hope is found, what are the pleasures that you're pursuing? What are the things that you keep saying, I hope I can find it there. And how can you take that and turn it and say, God, I want to place you in that spot. I want to follow you. I want to put you in that first place. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Heavenly Father, we confess, God. We so many times put things and pleasures at the focal point of our life. Whether we're only living for the weekend or a vacation or the next thrill, God, you'd long for us to find our peace, to be settled in you. God, we can search the whole world. We can search to the ends of of this great world that you've given us with all the joys and delights. But God, if it doesn't lead us to you, we come up empty. Father, may we find you. May we put our hope and our peace in you. And God, may the world around us see those who have put their hope and faith in you, followers of Jesus who are filled with life and who are filled with joy and who are filled with passion and purpose who even in their pain know that there is healing and that there's hope. God, we desire you and we build our life on you. Lead us, fill us, renew us, restore us, and let us experience life to the fullest as you have created us for. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.